and and I'll 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 say this to kind of um side with you, okay? Mm. Um and and the purpose of your whole, you know, project here with all of these episodes, the series, I should say, uh mm. episodes uh, is to show I think that um I don't think obviously I'm sure you would agree that there are advantages or maybe you could say we even need um urban life in some ways. Um mm-hmm. You know, but there's there's an imbalance, right? There's such a big divide, and mm. um, there's a lot. They they just uh, sometimes urban people or urban lifestyles they don't understand or fully appreciate the other side, right? And maybe vice versa. Mm. Um, I think there needs to be more of a cohesiveness, uh, a working together, and a, a teaching of each other of different skills and, and ways of life. Um, so I think there is an imbalance, and there's a lot less skilled public speakers than maybe back then back Mm -hmm. you know when when things were more rural Welcome to Talk Academy, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. My, my my name is Brandon Black, and today we're talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, both agriculture and public speaking. And for many of you who've listened to the podcast for a long time, you know that I am a public speaker and that I enjoy the craft quite a bit, and that I've mentored others in the past in public speaking. That being said, I've noticed a distinct difference between public speaking in urban areas and rural areas, as well as a comfortability with public speaking in between people who live in, in those uh, areas, respectively. So here to talk about this topic with me today, I have an old voice that you guys should recognize well because he's been on a few episodes now. Braden, why don't you go ahead and remind people uh, who you are? My name is Braden. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, one half of the duo for Absolutely Gobsmacked. Uh, I was on an episode with um with you prior it was it was quite a while ago uh, a few months ago at least sometime last year in regards to our episode on the martian mm-hmm. um, obviously we talk about movies and on our podcast so we mixed the two and that was a lot of fun um <laughs> so the, so I'm, I'm glad to be on and uh, talk about something different you know something that i also enjoy and something that i have my own training on um mm. in, in in public speaking and so um Again, I'm not an ag, you know, I don't know much about agriculture, especially not as much as um, Brandon here, but we'll see where that takes us, okay? (laughs) (laughs) All right, and just for the record, I know you're about to say ag nerd, it's okay, you can call me an ag (laughs) ag nerd, I am. (laughs) How'd you know? Uh, (laughs) I heard you say ag, I'm not an ag person, I was like, I know you want to call me a nerd, just do it, I I fully accept it. (laughs) Ag geek geek is back. <laughs> <laughs> all right so yeah brayden has been on the show before and i've been on his show uh, before mm-hmm. and i we went over uh our episode was on up which is one of my favorite animated movies of all time mm-hmm. um fantastic episode you guys should go check it out and i'll be sure to put all the links down in the description so you guys can go check it out if you're a fan of movies you're going to enjoy this podcast it's definitely a lot of fun i i have listened to quite a few episodes um, but yeah, so I think that without further ado, uh, I was really, I was kind of not going to lie. I was a little bit surprised that you reached out to me about the public speaking episode. That is not the one I, I was expecting you to want to be part of. Yeah. Well, the thing is I've kind of been doing public speaking since I was like 10 years old. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. And then um, when I went to college, I took a few courses on that. Not not to say that that makes me an expert. Uh, there's always going to be someone better <laughs> than you. Um, but it's something that I have experience doing um, mm-hmm. and something I'm comfortable doing is something I really, really enjoy, actually. Mm. Awesome. Well, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I... I was very shy for most of my life, and then I got most of my public speaking training in high school, and after receiving that training, I became a lot more confident and kind of became the person I am today. Actually, if it wasn't for my public speaking, I probably wouldn't have ever done the podcast, so it kind of helped me in a lot of ways, and now I, yeah, and now I kind of mentor other, you know, kids that were around that age, high school students, and some even younger, some older, um, in, in that, you know, in that realm, so I definitely have a a strong affinity for public speaking, so I, I think we have a, a pretty equal ground here. Yeah, I'd love to teach uh, and help people that struggle with it. I mean, that's something that I think I would enjoy doing. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I mean, it's it's made me a better a better speaker too because mm-hmm. I've done you know I've obviously got to practice it more, but I've also got to see what you know what makes a good speaker and what doesn't. I've you know I've I've read books and done research on like public speaking strategies and like what made the great speakers the great speakers and that sort of thing and it's just you know it, it's it's true what they say. You don't you don't fully understand something until you te- until until you can teach it to someone else. And if you teach someone something something it helps you remember it better. Yeah, exactly. I think that goes with anything. Um mm-hmm. a little side note 10 years old was I was kind of starting to branch out more and do more things that I probably wasn't comfortable doing. Um, I was, I started becoming a shy kid, Mm. you know, maybe, um, when I started going to public school, um, especially when I moved like in the middle of second grade, because, um, I was like the class clown. And then I, I moved halfway through the year and it just like, it flipped a switch where I didn't know anyone. And I kind of shut, kept myself, you know, enclosed and kind of shut down a little bit and then at 10 years old i just wanted to do something where i could express myself all that pent up you know emotion (laughs) so i actually did acting um well i did public speaking first and then went into acting and Mm. that helps because there's a lot of similarities between public speaking and acting but there's Mm. a lot of differences too Hmm. Because Interesting. I've seen actors try to do public speaking and, and it's just, it's not, they can't, you know, <laughs> sometimes they just can't do it. It's just not the same thing. So to be able to um, tell the similarities and, and be aware of that uh, and the differences, especially being able to be good at two different things that are, are similar, but different actually, I think helps in, when it comes to both avenues. Yes, I could definitely agree with that. And I definitely see my fair share of, of crossover as well. You know, I haven't really done much of the acting thing, but I have seen uh, public speakers that have tried to be a bit too much like actors, and I've mm-hmm. seen actors try to be public speakers, and they they have similarities. They have, you know, there's definitely applicable skills that, that work for both, but it's not always the best thing to cross over them in, in certain uh, situations because mm-hmm. um, you get some, you know, some people that try to bring, you know, they're acting into their speeches a bit too much and then it becomes a little bit too overdramatized and not it doesn't get the point across quite well. And you have some, you know, public speakers who who think that, oh yeah, I can speak, I can I can talk in front of people and they lose all personality because they're a speaker, they're not an actor. And right. you know, that can take a lot of the magic out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, acting you're you're being someone else, but when you're a public speaker, you have to be yourself and you have to be comfortable mm-hmm. being yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of goes into. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad. That, I'm glad that we kind of got some some background there because that, that's that's actually really helpful for this conversation. Um, 
because I'm curious about uh, a kind of a, a theory that I have, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, because I've noticed in my experience that most of the best public speakers that I've known have come from somewhat rural backgrounds, and that there are, well, there are quite a few, you know, public speakers that are very talented that come from urban backgrounds. It tends to be the type of environment you grow up in that tends to determine whether or not you're going to be a successful public speaker. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, basically, so I, I, obviously I grew up as a shy kid and you mentioned that, you know, for a period of time you were shy as well. Mm -hmm. e even though I was shy, I grew up around a community that was very much not, you know, I, I was, I grew up in a small town, but they were all very, everybody knows everybody. Like nobody's afraid to speak their mind. They're all very vocal people. We just kind of sat around and talked about whatever in front of everybody. Like it was a very much, it was very much a, a casual environment, which made it a lot easier to speak in front of them because I knew them for one and for two, we spoke about anything and everything in, in front of anybody or in, and everybody. So it kind of, it took away a lot of that nervousness that's often associated with speaking in front of people for the first time. Yeah. You know, I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. um, that's a new perspective for me because honestly, the way I, I had always viewed it and I'm not saying I disagree with you because um, actually I think your, your perspective is very, very interesting and, and rings true in a lot of ways um, that, mm -hmm. that I realize. But my, my perspective was always one, um, you kind of have to have the talent for it. You kind of have to, some of it's kind of just comes natural to you in, in that some people are just really good natural speakers. And mm -hmm. obviously it's not just that it's the same thing with sports. You can be really talented, but if you don't, you know, practice and hone your skills and you know, it, you only mm -hmm. go so far. But to me, it was like a good speaker is a mixture of, of talent and skill and, someone who's really, really practiced and worked hard at their craft. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I, I definitely agree with that. I think that there are certain people who are just naturally or genetically or however you want to phrase it, they're they're automatically going to be better speakers than some others. Just off you know, right off the bat. You know, mm -hmm. people will just naturally have whether it be charisma or they just have an understanding of how speech is supposed to sound or they just have a naturally loud and commanding voice, whatever it is some people just naturally have a knack for speaking. I think that the obstacle comes from either their comfortability with it or their ability to use it for the right reasons. You know, like I know people who are very, you know, loud and charismatic and, and have the potential to be a great speaker. You put them on stage and they're a nervous wreck and they break down immediately. Right. So I think it, I think part of it is, yes, there's, you know, there's, there's a natural ability there. And the other part of it is, their comfortability with it and that that comes more from practice and from kind of understanding the structure of a speech and and what goes into making a good speech because at least in my experience if you know how to give a good speech it makes giving the speech slightly less stressful rather than just trying to ad lib it while you're up there okay so here's here's something for you that um mm -hmm. i always it always kind of confused me and i never really understood it myself okay mm -hmm. um and I've said this many times to many people I'm close to. I'm more comfortable giving a speech or acting in a play, doing something on stage. Well, I wouldn't say something like singing, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, something mm -hmm. like that than having a conversation with someone. Interesting. Hmm. And I've that, never that... fully understood why. So I think 
that's that is interesting. <laughs> so I I'm definitely I I can understand that you know I definitely I definitely get where you're coming from, um, because I there are definitely times that I have enjoyed speeches much more than conversations because I think part of it is that you get to kind of control the flow. I, I think yeah. that, you know, cause in a speech you're the only one talking, right? So you right. get to, you get to decide what gets said and what doesn't in a conversation. You may have things you want to say. They get left out because the conversation changes. Um, mm. So that could be part of it. And, you know, not to say that that you're, you know, you're a control freak or anything, but like right. there's a certain amount of control that's comfortable. You're like, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I like I like to be in control of what happens in a situation, but I don't want to control everything. Like I, I I just like to be in a situation where the control is not taken from me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that does make sense um, because I've always thought of it as I really enjoy and I don't want to make this sound bad, but I, because the, giving a speech and acting has one huge similarity. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's that if you're good enough and you're convincing enough, you can manipulate people's emotions. Right? Mm -hmm. um, you can make someone laugh, right? You can make someone cry um, mm -hmm. just by the, the words that you say. And, 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 and maybe even, you know, facial expressions, gestures as well go into that but um it's like with the conversation it's more and it's more unpredictable right i mean mm -hmm. like you said you have less control um over how the conversation is going to go where you if, if you want if you're trying to if you have an end goal as how you like it's like an argument right and you want to win an argument for example and you're trying to get to an end goal but it's not going your way Th right. that can make me feel uncomfortable right Yes. No, I absolutely get that. And and with the speech, you always have the end in mind, right? Because right. you wrote it, you know where it's going. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I definitely understand. That. And I, I, I've definitely been in that situation where I've been like, you know, like I've been talking to somebody like, you know, I really expected this to go somewhere else. Right. And I kind of wish I could have gotten these points out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I think that I think that there's a lot of validity in saying that, you know, speeches can be more comforting than than conversations. I don't think the average person would agree with you. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, the average person is is terrified of, of speaking. Um, but and that's actually that's actually a point that I wanted to kind of cover too. Um, you know, public speaking is kind of commonly understood to be one of the most, if not the most, feared things in the entire world, you know. Um there's the common saying like people would rather be in the grave than giving the eulogy kind of thing. Um because you know people people fear death more than speaking just because right. th this is the thing i've been trying to figure out like i i get why speaking is is terrifying because i was scared of it for a really long time but once i got comfortable with it i loved it you know it was super fun to to do um and i i learned how to control my nervous energy because i one of the things that i advocate for whenever i'm teaching somebody how to speak is that you don't have to get rid of your nervousness because the nervousness never truly goes away but you have to figure out how to how to use it to your advantage and that's a big thing that once they figure out how to do that, they get, they get more comfortable with it. And I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. You might have a different opinion on, on how nervousness works, but. Oh no, actually I completely agree with you. Um, mm. And that's the thing is like, you can kind of compare that to a lot of things when it comes mm -hmm. to people being uncomfortable with something because they're just not used to doing it. You know, um, right. it's more, it, it's a little bit more than that. It's not that simple always. But um, when it comes to being nervous, I mean, the more you do something, I mean, 
in my eyes, you should always be a little bit nervous um, mm-hmm. because if you're not nervous, it could mean that you're overconfident. And, and that's where right. you can easily make a mistake. But yes. the more you do things like giving a speech, the more you can control your nerves, as you mentioned, right? And kind of use it to your advantage where it's almost like a uh, like a motivation to do mm-hmm. to do well. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, that's that's one of my biggest things is, you know, whenever I have a new speaker and like when, you know, when I was taking speech classes in college, I had this exact same thing happen. People would come up to me and say, hey, how are you so confident in speaking? I just get so nervous up there. Yeah. And I tell them, like, look, dude, I get nervous, too. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna tell you right now, I am not confident. You know, if I if I come off as confident, that's because I'm doing a good job. But I'm not confident when I'm up there. Right. It's different. Mm-hmm. And and when when they kind of look at you sideways and you go like, well, look you're gonna have the nervous energy like you're in front of like I, I usually like to break it down from like from a biological perspective you know if you think about it we're animals you know your mm-hmm. audience is animals we are a single animal in front of a bunch of animals we're a prey they are all predators you know our brain immediately goes into fight or flight and says get out of there like right. that's why you want to that's why you want to run away you know that's why you want to break down you that's why your body gives you so much energy you know you, you get so nervous and you're shaking so much because your body's trying to tell you to run it's giving you all this energy to get off the stage if you basically say like hey like your body's gonna do it no matter what your body naturally does that for you it never stops producing all the adrenaline or or the energy or like you know any of that kind of stuff that's naturally going to happen but you don't have to use it for what your body wants you to use it for you can use it for whatever you want to use it for so the adrenaline's going to be there. The nervous energy is going to be there. All of that's going to be there. You have the choice: are you going to break down, or are you going to use it as passion? And that's the better. That's the way you get around it. You convert all of your nervousness into passion, and your speech mm-hmm. turns from pretty good to really good as long as you can time the passion right. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta. There's a, there's a balance to controlling right. that passion, right? You, mm-hmm. And that comes with experience too. I mean, you know, you can. Um, use the, you can get really nervous and go I'm and mentally tell yourself I'm going to channel that and turn it into passion and then you can way overdo it and it's like mm-hmm. oh, that backfired right so you do have to keep it under control a little bit right um yes absolutely so yeah. but yeah absolutely I agree with you uh, 100% yeah and I think that you know that that nervous energy is an important part of the conversation because I think that that's kind of the the driving factor behind so many people being afraid to to become public speakers or to even you know just practice it every now and then um but one thing I wanted to talk about and this is something I'm, I'm curious about your opinion on mm-hmm. I I kind of want to dive into a bit of the history of of public speaking and kind of the fear of it and, and you know like because I, I seem to th- I think you know kind of what my theory is is that Around the time that agriculture and society started to drift apart, around the time the urban and the rural communities started to, to split, is around the time that public speaking became more and more of an up, of a higher priority fear. Hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Uh, and why do you? Around, and and when exactly do you do you think that that happened? So I would say so there there have been trends throughout history where agriculture and society have become slightly split and then they come back together and they split again and come back together. Okay. I think I think that most recently though it happened around the early twentieth century around around the industrial revolution around the first and second world wars. That's kind of where I'm 
I'm putting it. Um, and I'll tell you why. So it, I'm not just saying it for the sake of, well, agriculture left. So, all, you know, obviously people aren't going to want to speak anymore because it doesn't make any sense. Right. There's a there's a reason why I think this is happening. Um, and I think that part of it has to do with agriculture, but not not as much. Um, so this is kind of the part that's like, you know, it, yes, it ties into my you know, to my podcast, but this is also kind of just something that I just wanted wanted poke at for a little bit. Right. Um. I think so. I'm, I'm going to kind of paint you a, a picture of, of, you know, the evolution of, of the Industrial Revolution, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So we started off in, you know, let's just say it's 1900. Mm-hmm. Um, the Industrial Revolution is, is just beginning. You know, we're, we're getting out of, out of the out of the 18th, uh, the, uh, 19th century. You know, the 1800s are ending. The Industrial Revolution is beginning. We're seeing new industries start to boom everywhere. Um, urban, you know, urban development is starting to, to grow for the first time. People are leaving the farms to go. Uh, work new jobs in the cities, right? As that's happening, you're seeing rural communities shrink more and more. You're seeing urban communities grow more and more. But the thing is, they're working so much that they don't really have time for the community operations that they would normally have. They don't have as, as big of social circles. They don't go to church every every Sunday and see their friends. They don't have breakfast with their neighbors anymore because they're working, so they just sleep and work and eat, and that's about it. Um, even relationships went through a, a change. This is where we started to see, you know, kind of revolutions in, in the way that, that families started to operate. Um, during around the time of the, of, of the Second World War, we saw such a boom of of workers move from rural sectors to, to, to urban ones because they had a massive need for a workforce. And we have so many people going to war all of a sudden that we saw such a split between agriculture and, and urban development. And so many people went away from their traditional communities to you know just working nonstop. i think that that was part of the the first little split where 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 public speaking started to kind of get neglected because it wasn't seen as a valuable skill because you didn't see as many public speakers besides like presidents and some politicians and that sort of thing as that era ended we started to see the kind of the reinvention of of modern society the suburbs started to, to appear agricultural sectors got pushed even further off into the, into the back burner and those rural communities that used to spend time just sitting around talking, having fun, playing games or whatever, that became so, so uncommon because urban jobs were way more desirable. And because so many people had already been working then, they just went straight back to them, that you started to see this evolution of a new type of society that was less driven on large communities and more driven on individual families. And as they became more individual in families, they had less of a need for speaking in front of large crowds. And that discourage them from practicing their public speaking skills so we've progressed a little bit more you know we go through like the 60s and 70s and that kind of stuff just continues to evolve there's not much different in there the only thing is maybe during the vietnam war there was a bit more incentive for people to speak out just because there was a lot of protests at that time um and and the civil rights movement i would say is also part of that because you had martin luther king obviously one of the greatest speakers of of the uh in the later the last couple centuries um so so that little bridge of history is is a little bit weird because you had some speakers but you, most people were kind of just you know following what was going on with, with the rest of the crowd there wasn't quite as much incentive to really practice speaking as much as there used to be as we got into like the 1900 you know, or not, uh, 1990s i mean you started to see a bit more of a shift because now screens are becoming a thing mm-hmm. computers were starting to come out the earliest phones were coming out in the early 2000s that had screens and and were were fully you know operational for more than just texting or calling. Um, 
as that technology began to advance and as especially as social media began to to develop we had less and less people interacting face to face in smaller and smaller groups and that even more de-incentivized the idea that we needed to be speaking in front of large crowds anymore and so i think that again it's not the agriculture the the split from agriculture caused this but i think that the two happened simultaneously yeah. as the split as a split from rural communities began the fear of public speaking increased because the practice of it was greatly decreased in demand yeah um i can definitely see you know the more recent trend where screens have limited the ability to have a normal conversation much less be able to uh, give a speech but i never actually thought about tying it all the way back to the industrial revolution um mm. but i mean the way you explain it makes so much sense um for example you're talking about you talked about the family unit and yeah. not having a need to um give speeches to the community in general right mm -hmm. um less and less people going to things like church um where that's where a lot of speeches are given or a lot of socializing happens. Right. Right. Um, where people are comfortable. Yeah. Talking to their family members. Right. You live with them. Mm -hmm. But as far as, you know, you don't talk to your family member or you don't talk to people outside your family the same way you talk to your family members. Right. Um, right. So we're talking about different ways of speaking and not having that um, socialization, that specific socialization. Uh, and so you're saying that basically socializing with, with others ties has a lot to do with the ability to give public speeches, right? Uh, yes. I would say that's a big part of it. Okay. And, and I mean, that, that makes sense. I just never thought of it that way. I never really delved deep into that, that idea. Um, mm -hmm. but that's very interesting. Yeah. And, and I don't bring it up for no reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think it's, it's, I, I, the reason I bring it up is not just because I think it's, oh, yeah, that's interesting. The 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 urban-rural split happened around the same time the public speaking split right, happened. Like, that's right. not, like, there, there is a reason I bring it up, you know, particularly around this mini-series that I'm doing on, on this theory. Um, I have this firm theory, and this is, the, this is the part where it ties back into the podcast, but it also kind of, the grounds for this, the logic for this becomes a bit more unstable. So this is the part where if, if, if you're going to call me out on something, this is the thing I, can, I think you can call me out on. Okay, cause it's, I'll do it. <laughs> it. It's a bit out there. <laughs> um, but I think uh, that, uh, let's, let's see, how do I want to phrase this? So basically, I, I learned how to speak through my high school youth leadership group, FFA. I'm sure okay. you've heard of FFA before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um that was my first experience with public speaking and i learned how to speak by giving speeches about issues regarding agriculture that's actually my earliest inspiration for the podcast was i was giving speeches on on agricultural issues so often i started to notice one of the most common issues across all of them was people don't know where their food comes from so i started a podcast about that as i explored this idea you know that, that there's this youth leadership organization dedicated to teaching kids leadership skills and agriculture and leadership skills based in agriculture i started to think well why are those two things connected that's a very oddly specific thing to have connected and i've been kind of exploring this idea for a little while now that agriculture serves as kind of a foundation of society um it's actually you know that that's the next uh, part of the mini series is supposed to come out after this one and, and the the other part about social media is that the agriculture is the foundation of society and 
it is tied into everything from our art to our music to our movies to our books everything i mean we we did a whole episode on the martian about that right um this idea that agriculture is tied to to the to the roots of society has also led led me to believe that as society grows away from agriculture as it begins to take agriculture out of the equation it becomes more unstable and as such people are less inclined to operate as they normally would in the society and i think that public speaking is considered one of those normal operations people are less comfortable opening up about things and speaking about them publicly to a crowd and I think that part of the reason that's happening is because of that separation from the foundation of society. It's becoming more and more unstable because we're just focusing so much on, again, the screens, the social media, the, the less interaction from face to face and more interaction with, you know, somebody online that we don't know. And again, that's the part of the theory that I can see a lot of potential logic holes in. But that's kind of where I'm going with this. Well, here's my thing. I think your perspective or your uh, opinion on that applies in a lot of situations um you say holes i wouldn't say holes i just think it, it wouldn't apply to every situation if that makes okay. sense um i wouldn't say that there's holes in the logic i would say that that logic does apply in many instances that's my opinion um, okay i mean at the end of the day i think a lot of people would agree those who are raised in more rural areas um, gain more life skills and gain them earlier in life. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. work ethic and manners and a lot of things that people lack these days because, you know, they rely on other people. They mm. have things easier. Right. Um, mm. So I think it just, it applies to a lot of things, including public speech, which I think your whole project kind of, is it, the point is to, to show the, the big difference, right? Um, right. And so I definitely think you're onto something. And I definitely think your logic in this case, when it comes to public speaking, does apply to in a lot of ways to, to most people. So I would agree with mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm not completely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I understand your viewpoint. Um, I just think, I think like with almost everything, there are, there are some, uh, what's the word? some uh exceptions mm -hmm. right yeah definitely uh and i i would say maybe i'm an exception you know i was not raised necessarily in a rural i was raised in a stable household where i had to you know learn certain things for life uh, so i had definitely an adv ad advantage over uh, other people that were raised in some urban um, households um so i think that does contribute a little bit to my ability or my um enjoyment in public speaking um mm -hmm. but um at the same time some people are just born like i mentioned some people are just born with ability you know um, right and then they they realize that and they work at it and yeah they could be computer nerds right <laughs> <laughs> right o opposite of an ag nerd <laughs> right <laughs> and they just have i mean they're public speaking <laughs> there actually are some uh, ag computer nerds believe it or not wow yeah like you uh, yeah that'd be one yep <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think that you got a solid point though and that is something that while i was thinking up this this theory that's something that kind of kept poking at me is that not every good public speaker comes from a rural background right, and right. that's that's definitely one of the like the, that's like kind of like the logical 
uh, inconsistencies that I was I was kind of referring to. Because um, I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, a lot of the great presidents that were, you know, fantastic speakers were farmers, but most of the early presidents were farmers, because most early people were farmers. So that wasn't exactly a, a good logical claim to make. And I was trying to think, think through other ways I could make that work, but I think it, it's best suited by saying, you know, kind of like you said, it's applicable in most situations, but obviously there's going to be a lot of people who learn how to speak through other means and, and, and became proficient at it, and they didn't come from a rural background. Yeah, I think what and, – and I'll, I'll, I'll say this to kind of um, side with you, okay, mm-hmm. um, and, and the purpose of your whole you know project here with all of these episodes, the series, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. episodes, uh, is to show, I think – that um, I don't think, obviously, I'm sure you would agree that there are advantages or maybe you could say we even need um, urban life in some ways, um, mm-hmm. you know, but there's there's an imbalance, right? There's such a big divide and mm. um, there's a lot. They, they just uh, sometimes urban people or urban lifestyles, they don't understand or fully appreciate the other side. Right. And maybe vice versa. Mm. Um, I think there needs to be more of a cohesiveness, uh, a working together and a, a teaching of each other of different skills and, and ways of life. Um, so I think there is an imbalance and there's a lot less skilled public speakers than maybe back then, back, mm-hmm. you know, when when things were more rural. Right. Yeah. No, I, I would definitely agree with that. And I would say that, you know, to your point, I think that I think it's often uh kind of seen that i defend the agricultural point of view but i'm i'm definitely taking the position as as the bridge between both you know that that you can't have one without the other you know agriculture needs urban development and technological advancement to thrive and obviously urban development needs agriculture because food um Mm -hmm. and and separating one from the other is just going to cause the other one to struggle um so the the big thing that I'm I'm shooting for, and also like you know to your point, there there are plenty of people in, in rural areas that struggle with public speaking as well. It's it's mm-hmm. definitely not an exclusive issue to uh, urban development. It's it's more so as a as a society we have gotten weaker in our in our speaking development, and part of that you could say is because even like the rural areas have had to adapt to urban you know urban advances and that sort of thing. But really, I think it's just because we haven't practiced it nearly as much. Public speaking hasn't really been a priority in schools or hasn't really been taught to a lot of kids. And so it's kind of losing its luster when really it should be practiced more. But the the main point that I think that I'm trying to get across most is that we can't have urban without rural. We can't have rural without urban. And these are some of the negative side effects that we're seeing from them being so disconnected, you know, public speaking being one of them. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you about my experience um, in college. One semester, I think um, I only needed like one or two classes um, before mm-hmm. I started the next semester, which was I was kind of all full go, full, full go, you know, um, <laughs> a book schedule, right? So I had a semester mm. where I could, I just needed one or two classes. So I, I had the, um, the freedom or the ability to take a couple extra classes to keep me busy, and mm. I took two different um, speech classes. Okay. Hmm. One was more of fundamentals and the basics, right? And Hmm. and the other one was just full-blown public speaking. Hmm. Um, But I learned that it almost felt like, to your point, 
Um, it just felt like people were, we spent so much time teaching people basics that I felt like I already knew, mm-hmm. um, that, that took up most of the semester mm. and it didn't feel, it didn't sit right with me. I felt mm. like the expectations as a, as a whole were are a little too low when it comes to public speaking. And not everyone's a good public speaker, and some people were required to take the class for whatever they're doing. But I think that if you're required to take that class and do well in it, you're going to need it for whatever career you're going for, right? Mm-hmm. So I just felt like the expectations as far as public speaking were, were a little low, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, because as a whole, people are very weak in that in that um, aspect of life. Um and you had people of all diff- different sorts of personalities. I mean, you had outgoing people, you had shy people, and mm-hmm. they all had different strengths and weaknesses. Um, but as a whole, it was it's kind of disappointing to see it, honestly. And I'm not trying to make myself sound like I'm this amazing, advanced, you know, speaker or anything like that. Uh, it just made me think, you know, um, about like, hey, I think this class would be much more difficult or have much higher expectations even a few decades ago you know oh yeah no definitely and i actually had a similar experience um i think it was my second or third semester of of college i took a public speaking class similar to you it was supposed to be like a kind of like an intro to public speaking class but it was like grounded in business like a business mm-hmm. public speaking class right um and I found myself a little bit under, like, kind of underwhelmed, you know, by by how right. simple the class was. That's a and, good uh, word to uh, to describe it. Yeah, and like there were people getting up there and speaking, and they were doing fine. But you know, I was like, really, like this is, you know, this is a, a required class. Like I I really didn't think this was something that needed to be taught. And my teacher was actually really impressed with my speaking ability. And I used to like kind of sit in his office after class sometimes and just talk to him about speak, you know, speaking styles and stuff. And he would talk to me about how, like, yeah, you know, the class, it needs to be really simple because, you know, you have some people who come in here like you that are very good speakers and they just kind of blow through the class like it's nothing. But you have a lot of people who come in that they may do fine with the material, but if you crank the difficulty up even a notch, they completely fall under all all the nervousness. Yeah. And that was kind of a shock to me. I guess I, I greatly underestimated how... And how anxious people can get with just a little bit more pressure on them. Um, and he said that the reason that he appreciated having people who were skilled in speaking in the class is because he was hoping that others would see them. Like, he, you know, he was like, I know that the class is easy for you. I'm not going to make it any harder for you. Yeah. I want others to see you as a good speaker and take example off of your style. And he used to do that all the time. You know, I, I would give a good speech and he would say, hey, you see how he did this, this, and this? This, You know, this is really good. And here's ways I, th- I think he can improve. The only time I ever did bad on any of my speeches is just because I went over time. But that's just because I talk a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. But I, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I always gave like good, you know, good structured speeches that right. sounded good. And I used vocal inflection, all that kind of stuff. I, I was very methodical in my speeches and i actually mentored a couple of the kids in that class you know i helped them i helped them pass that class and i didn't realize until i was talking to them just how much they struggle with some of those basics you know and when i saw that i was like wow like even when when i was still a shy kid like this is stuff that i understood you know it wasn't stuff that was just like foreign to me as as a subject like it was you know it, it wasn't that 
out of my range of, of expectation for, for what a speech should sound like. And for them, it's just like it's another language. Yeah, but here's the thing, Brendan, and I, and I want your opinion on this. And I, I, and I, and I came to that realization that mm-hmm. and that's a really good point that you brought up that if you made it a li- even if they made it a little bit difficult, the vast majority of people would struggle in the class. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it would be unfair for me to have to expect, you know, everyone to be at my level. That's kind of that would be really cocky and and, and that would be unfair because, you know, it could go be the other way around and, and something that I'm not very good at. And, and and I wouldn't appreciate that if I were in the other situation. Right. Um, right. But here's the thing that I and I, and I realized that I learned about myself is um, when I realized someone would go up there and give a fine speech, right? Like you said, they would do fine. Mm-hmm. And it was like an AA plus as a younger Braden, uh, <laughs> more inexperienced <laughs> Braden. What I would do was just wing it. Mm-hmm. I would just improvise the speech. Right. She would give me the topic and I just go up there. And I would get an A, and I'm not. And, and and honestly, I definitely could have done better if I had an actual outline. <laughs> I mean, you know that, right? Oh yeah. But I did good enough. But I didn't reach my full potential in that class because mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't have to do. I didn't have to exert myself fully. Yeah. No, I, I definitely I've I felt that as well. Yeah, you know, I've I've had speeches in the past that were like very very simple speech topics that were just mm-hmm. for like you know an assignment or like even if it wasn't for a speech class like if we had to give a presentation in class and it wasn't a very hard presentation i found myself putting less effort into those presentations just because i was like oh it's easy they're not gonna be expecting me to actually you know do well at this um which granted it probably isn't the best attitude to have you know you should you should put effort into every presentation you do so that way people see you as a good speaker but like i i get what you mean you know there's a certain level of like well if they're gonna expect the you know the lowest level of of quality possible then i'm i'm gonna give them you know what what they expect kind of thing like there's there's no reason putting more effort into something that's not going to get any more value out of it and i don't think that's a good way to do things i don't think that's a good thinking you know obviously right. if i would go back i would still give 110 percent because you know um it, it does take you places it can take you places she ended up um the the professor ended up choosing mm-hmm. choosing three students from her classes to give um speeches i think it was on a saturday um on uh topics that were relevant um it was like a competition thing that the, co- mm. the college had um and it's like man if i had given my 110 percent, i would have liked to do that right yeah so you know that can definitely backfire on you um yeah but i'll give you an example of what happened it's kind of a funny story um we had to do a group project. It was four of us. We mm-hmm. had to do a slideshow presentation, and I bl- it was on relationships, right? So every everyone had to do something about relationships, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be romantic, whether it be you know platonic, you know family, whatever, right? Um, right. And ours was basically on you know male and female relationships of the opposite sex, mm. and um, so I had what happened with the group project was we each had to do like a certain had to, uh, had like a certain slot, like say it's a 20 minute presentation and each of us had like five minutes. Right. Um, they put the slideshow together. They sent it to me. 
uh, two of the because it was two guys and two girls, right? The two girls did the slideshow, made it all pretty looking, everything like that, right? Um, made it look really nice, I should say. And then they sent it, and I didn't even look at it. I didn't. I didn't look at it at all. I didn't read what it was about. Um, oh, I just man. had a general idea. The day we have to present comes, and I wing it. Literally, they put the slide up on the screen. I'd never seen it. I look at it, and then I just give like a little spiel on it, right? And mm-hmm. um, I had people just going, like it was basically like how a guy should treat a girl. That's how I remember it. Okay. Gotcha. So I was going off on, <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, hey, he's right. And then, you know, I ended up hel- helping the, the uh, get a better grade overall as a group. Um, mm-hmm. But looking back, it's like, man, I wish I had put more effort into it. Um, yeah. So that's just my that's that was why I, I kind of brought that up is because um, I was just I think because to tie it all together because of the divide right because of the mm-hmm. um the lack of that the skills needed to give a public speech because of that i feel like the standards are much lower too yeah no i i can definitely agree with that i think that's a that's a good way of looking at it is you know we we've kind of so so a good example of this i i've been asked before because i you know i like i like studying speakers i like kind of listening to public speakers and kind of taking apart their speeches seeing what was good about it what i would change and that kind of stuff um i've been asked before if i think that there's any like really good public speakers alive today and i thought about it and like there's there's some that i would definitely say are good speakers just objectively you know they they know how a good speech should sound but i was thinking about it compared to like you know throughout history yeah and there's not nearly as many good speakers today as, as what there used to be. And I think, you know, it's because of exactly what you just said. We've lowered our standards for what we consider a good speaker. And because of that, speech quality has gone down overall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, you know, people can give a good speech and it may be a good speech, but it's not like it's not going to tear your heart out and, you know, it's not going to make you like make you feel anything super impactful. And that's, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of this, of this episode, that's what I would, you know, that's why I I would, you know, categorize as a good speech, something that makes me feel a particular way or, you know, really encourages me to want to do something or, you know, that sort of thing. And listening to the speech, you know, the speakers that we have available today, there's not a whole lot that I hear their speeches. And I'm like, yeah, like I really feel like, you know, there's some that have made me feel like that, but for the most part, I'm kind of just like, mm-hmm. Oh, that was a good speech. I, I you know, I, I forget about it. Yeah. You know what? I've thought about that too. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you think about if you were to study in a speech class nowadays, how many more recent speeches or speakers would you study compared to speakers of the past? Not I mean, a lot. Right. And, and, and you think of like, you, you you know popular speeches right you know Gettysburg mm-hmm. address you know John oh, yeah. F Kennedy um even his brother right uh, Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Jr I dream a dream there's not oh, yeah. speeches like that anymore right no they they still use phrases from their speeches even to this day and there's nothing new there's nothing new um right and and I've noticed that too you know even like someone like and I hate to say it but like Hitler was known as a very good motivation he, he was a very yeah he's a very charismatic speaker right and you know we shouldn't have to use this example we should have more examples than that you know right and, it, it seems like sorry i don't mean cut you no, off go ahead um 
you, you made a really solid point there that I want to highlight. You, you said that we still use pieces of other people's speeches today. Right. And that we, there's not a whole lot of originality in speeches. Mm -hmm. It seems to me, and this is something that I've even noticed in, in movies, and I'm sure you've explored it quite a bit, um, that you know even like movies today are often recreations of other movies. You know, there's there seems to be less originality in in more modern movies than the, than the original stories and that sort of thing. Right. I think that's happening with speeches. You know, I think that people are, are almost becoming lazy and they're like, well, this was a good speech. I'm just going to repeat what he said instead of coming up with genuine. Because like how many speeches within the past probably 10 years have names, you know, like the Gettysburg Address or mm -hmm. I Have a Dream or, you know, George Washington's, uh, you know, uh, address, you know, the the. Uh, proclamation after the war or mm -hmm. you know the the proclamation uh the emancipation proclamation you know like how many speeches actually have names nowadays like can't we remember right like we remember some speeches as like oh yeah that was kind of a good speech but we barely remember what was said you know we we like what we're hearing when we're hearing it but i haven't heard a speech in my lifetime that i was like yeah that's going to be remembered for history like it's just not happening anymore what's the most recent famous speech you can think of um i mean there was the i would say probably the speech that george bush made on 9 11 okay that's fair. that's the most recent now i wasn't i was only one year I was, I was only a year old when that happened so like that was 20 years ago um i really can't think of like you know in in recent years like you know i don't think we've had a president since george bush that's made a speech that i've remembered um that you know that I, I could easily cite as like a, that was a good speech kind of speech um like there's some that are like oh yeah that was you know he made some good points but like right there was nothing that was like man that speech is going to be remembered yeah and i remember george bush was a, a pretty decent speaker um i know he was actually i think he's more popular for some of the phrases he uses and people making fun of them really um, yeah because <laughs> he had an interesting way of, of speaking or expressing himself but right honestly like even the 9 11 speech i it, to me at least is a little f more forgettable um mm -hmm. i would i could agree with that i'd say like probably reagan is probably one of the more yeah recent... i was gonna say the most recent speech that's that sticks with me was actually when reagan um addressed the nation after the challenger explosion oh yeah that's a good one to me that's like the most recent speech that really sticks with me yeah i could i could agree with that actually like I, I would say, if you were to ask a, if you were to ask a, a an American, they would probably say the the nine eleven thing. But if you were to ask just like a public somebody who studies public speaking, I would say that's probably their their answer is you know pr pretty much any of Reagan's speeches, yeah. honestly. Well, he was an actor, so <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he was one of the few that could do both and 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 pull it off well. Yeah. So yeah, um, but that interesting. is interesting, and 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 I've thought about it before. Mm -hmm. But I, I always thought like, well, maybe I just don't pay attention as much as uh, to current events that I do to historical events. But now that you're agreeing with me, <laughs> it's kind of eye opening. No, trust me. I've like because, you know, like I said, I, I like studying speeches. There's a couple speakers today that I really enjoy listening to their speeches, but I wouldn't consider them historical speeches. You know, right. They're not like phenomenal that I, I would say I, I would remember like. The only reason I remember their speeches is because I listened to them a few times just to, you know, just to kind right. of pick them apart. Yeah. But like I've listened to presidential speeches, you know, between like Trump, Obama and even, you know, even even George Bush. I've listened to all their speeches and none of them have really wowed me. Um, 
I haven't heard any like major politicians make any good speeches that have really wowed me. Like there hasn't been anything that I was like, yeah, that's going to be remembered. Okay. So, um, I'm just curious, um, political or not, who do you think Mm -hmm. are the best speakers alive right now? Maybe even just a handful. I don't know how many you could think of. I would say so. So one of the speakers I often point to as a, I consider him a good speaker, but not a traditionally good speaker. So he doesn't exactly follow the rules of a good speaker, but his speeches are very compelling and, and good. To, and they're easy to listen to. And he has a very particular style of speaking that I think is attractive to a lot of people. Um, and that's Jordan Peterson. Okay. Um. So, so that's, that's, that's one of my big ones. Um, are, are we talking just people who are alive today or like how, how, well, yeah, I was thinking alive today that would still be giving speeches today. Okay. Um, cause I would say another one I listen to quite a bit is, um, I can't remember his first name, uh, Voss, Chris Voss. Okay. Um, so he, yeah, he, he's a big one I listen to quite a bit. Um, Admiral, I can't remember his uh, first name, Admiral something, Nick Raven. Um, you might've heard his, his make your bed speech. Um, what is his first name? I can't remember. But anyway, Admiral McRaven, he's phenomenal. I've listened to his speeches. He's written two books now. Um, I've read one of his books. Uh, he's really good. Other yeah. Than that, I really yeah. can't think of a lot. I mean, I, th- I I don't know if you agree with me, but I think the vast majority of speeches nowadays are ex- lean extremely on the motivational side of things. I Yes, I would agree with that. Whereas I'm not a... I mean, obviously they have their place and they are important and especially mm-hmm. a lot of, but I'm not a, you know, that's, I'm not, those are not my favorite speeches personally. Um, I yeah. prefer more of the, uh, touching speeches, I guess is what you mm-hmm. would say. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I will say, so I, I agree with you. I'm not big, I'm not a big fan of motivational speakers or motivational speeches just cause I think they get a little bit too, mm-hmm. uh, like they, they try a little bit too hard. Yeah. Um, you know, like they, they're they're trying to be motivational, so it just comes across as kind of sappy, right? Um, but there is one speaker that I actually heard at one of my FFA uh, conferences that, to this day, I still consider a phenomenal speaker. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Um, I'm trying to remember what his name is off the top of my head. It's a uh, Rick uh, Rick Rigsby. That's what it is. Okay, I've never I haven't heard of any of the guys you've named so far. So really, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Rick Rigsby, he, uh, he did a speech, he was actually on Goalcast, which is a YouTube channel that posts public speakers, and a lot of them are motivational types uh, speakers, yeah. but his is actually a really, really touching story that he, that he does, because all of their speeches aren't just like, hey, go out there and do great things, guys, it's like, hey, I've gone through hell and back, you should, yeah. you know, you should, you should be fine, um, so his speech is really good. I, I've actually heard him speak twice in person, and then I've listened to his video a few times. Um, he's he's phenomenal. Um, if you're looking for more of like a insp- not inspirational, uh, informative speaker, Temple Grandin is one of my favorites. But she's more like she she's an uh, an advocate for autism because she's an autistic uh, lady, and mm-hmm. she speaks on behalf of the animal agriculture industry quite a bit. She's designed a lot of the slaughterhouses in in the United States, and she's phenomenal. Me personally, I think informational speeches are the most difficult to pull off. They are. I I agree. And if you can pull off a good one, then then I yeah. I tip my hat to you. Yeah. I yeah. I I I, I, I that's what I struggle with the most. 
Yeah. It's because I want to make it interesting, right? I mean, everyone does. You want to ca- capture someone's attention, but you also want to right. be factual and, and make sense and be able to explain everything well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. What about um, just in general, not maybe not alive, who are some of the greatest speakers, do you think, of all time? Oh, man. So I just got done reading a book um, called uh, Stand Like Lincoln, Speak Like Churchill. Yeah. And I don't know if you, if you read that one. No, I haven't. Okay, it's I would recommend it. It's a phenomenal book. Um, it goes over a lot of like the body language tricks that Churchill used to use, and it goes over a lot of like the 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 speech or I'm sorry, the Lincoln used to use, and a lot of the speech tricks that Churchill used to use. Um, and that made me really appreciate Churchill's speaking style. So I've always I've always admired Abraham Lincoln, uh, his speeches and his body language because he was very, um, he he was kind of like a country hick, like he kind of just had like a really thick yeah. southern accent that a lot of people had a hard time understanding. So he wasn't the best speaker, but he was really, really good at, at, at getting people to to trust him because he was very, like, very compassionate with his body language. And he, like, I'm a big body language person when it comes yeah. to public speaking. And so he was, like, a huge inspiration for a lot of my body language when I when I speak. Um, so he's really, really, I love Lincoln. Churchill's a big one. I actually really, really love Martin Luther King Jr. Like, I, I've listened to his, his speeches quite a few times and i've done a lot of research on his on his speaking style and he was really really cool um other than that though those are kind of my big three mm-hmm. uh there's really not anyone else that I, w- I would say i listen to a lot like there's kind of just people i mean reagan's obviously like reagan's at the top of everybody's speaking list so like reagan's up there for me too but i kind of like don't even count him anymore because he's just like everyone knows he's such a good speaker yeah um so he's kind of like he's like number one above number one and then it's <laughs> churchill lincoln uh, martin luther king interesting okay i so, really well, like well, i personally like um maybe it's just his accent but jfk i, I don't know i just it kind of okay i can see that see i really love jfk um the the jfk and nixon debate mm, yeah the uh the, the famous you know the, the first ever televised presidential debate mm-hmm. I I, lo- I cite that in so many speeches. Um, I I because I did because I do a lot of uh, so I I play around in VR quite a bit and I've done VR speeches for like conferences and stuff. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. I've been a keynote speaker in a couple of different meetings and conferences, and you've gotten like a decent amount of people, like thirty or forty people for for each speech, which is pretty good. Um, and I gave a speech one time on the value because I used to teach a, a public speaking class in VR, and. I gave a speech one time on the value of learning how to speak in VR versus in reality and um, because it it, it uh, kind of alleviates some of that nervous energy right off the bat so you can learn the the basics of speech and then you can practice that in real life and that's how you kind of master the, the nervous control. Huh. Um, it, it was a theory I was working on. I never got a whole lot of evidence, but it seemed like it was working for, the, for my students at least. Um, but I gave a speech about how, you know, the future of... of speeches and presidential debates and all this kind of stuff could very well be in vr like we don't know just because of how how fast the technology is advancing right. and i gave i i used that that nixon jfk debate as as an example i was like look guys nixon and jfk had the first ever presidential debate on television the the anyone who listened to the debate on the radio says that nixon won by a landslide anyone who watched tv said jfk won by a landslide there's a very particular reason why 
and I explained to them, you know, the, the importance of body language and, mm-hmm. you know, vo- vocal inflection and all this kind of stuff. Like, I cite that, that debate more often than anybody else I've ever heard talk about that debate. And I think I'm a little bit crazy, but I think it's a really useful thing for teaching people how to speak. Interesting. I never explored that before. Mm-hmm. You have to show me. Um. <laughs> I, I can, I can, I can uh, show you what, what, um, what I'm talking about. But. Yeah. Um, I, I had Who one, else is on one, your list? Oh man, who else is on my list? Ooh. JFK's your uh, your number one. <laughs> yeah, I like Robert Kennedy too. I, again, okay. I, I like the accent. Um, I always, I hate to keep bringing him up, but I I, I did study Hitler at one point a while ago. Um, He's got an interesting speaking style, I will say. I didn't understand what he was saying. Um, obviously. So I looked into like subtitles or or transcripts of the, the speech and Mm -hmm. it was just interesting how he basically like could manipulate, you know, people's feelings and emotions so well, Mm -hmm. you know, that's how he was able to get such a huge following on his own. It's just, it's just crazy to me. Um, Right. I hate to give him credit, but you know, (laughs) no, I mean like there's a certain level of like, you can objectively say that somebody was good impactful at, yeah. in a particular way, mm. you know. They were good at what they did, good or bad, you know. <laughs> right. So, um, but what do you think are like, if you had to do like a top five most important, how do you say it? Maybe qualities or aspects of a good speech or a good speaker. Mm, what would they be? Question. You know, this would have been great. So I used to run a public speaking podcast that I stopped doing. This would have been great for that, but... <laughs> Oh, well. Um, yeah, no, that would be... That's really tough. I would say... I'm not sure. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of list them off, and then I'm going to try to put them in order. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, that, first of all... So volume is a big thing, obviously. Yep. You know, you, people need to hear you, but you can't be yelling at them. You know, There's got to be a good regulation right. of volume. Um, I would say that personality needs to be a big part of it. You know, like you don't want it to be dry, but you don't want to be over the top either. You know, you have to, you have to be, I'm not going to say personality. I'm going to say authenticity. Um, yeah. When I, when I, when I hear a good speech, I want it to be coming from that person, that person's heart. I, I want it to feel like that person wrote those words and means them with everything they say. Um, that's actually, I think one of the reasons I don't like modern speeches as much is because a lot of speeches are written by not the speaker. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, somebody's, somebody's, especially like presidents, a lot of presidents give speeches that they didn't write, which I know that, you know, that's been going on for years now. Even Churchill gave speeches that he didn't write. But a lot of the best speeches are speeches that come genuinely from that speaker's, you know, that's that's genuinely what they believe, and that makes a huge difference. Like, if you're giving a speech and you don't believe what you're saying, then nobody's going to take you seriously. Yep. So I, I would say that that's a big one too. So volume... Uh, authenticity, um, passion is obviously a big part of that. But I think passion kind of ki- kind of ties into the authenticity. Yeah. You know, like if 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 you mean what you say, you will be passionate. Um, so I'm not sure if I want to include that one or not. Um, body language is a huge thing for me. Like I would I would honestly probably put body language at the top of that. You know, like above okay. anything else. If if you have good body language, that makes a speech. Um, yep. I mean, quite quite clearly, that's how JFK won you know, the election, because he, he had better body language than, than Nixon did. Um, and then I would say, let's see. I mean, I think that, 
you know, a lot of people tend to think that a good speech comes from an extensive vocabulary or being an incredibly smart no. person. It doesn't at all. You know, people give like Abraham Lincoln gave <laughs> incredibly simplistic speeches, very, very short speeches. Like he was notorious for short speeches and he had a bigger impact than most other speakers of, of his time and actually most other presidents in general. Yeah, that's um, a, that is a common misconception, but you have to understand the simpler, the better, because because you'll be able to connect with more people. You know what I mean? Right. Not everyone mm-hmm. can. If you have a huge vocabulary, not everyone will be able to follow or understand what you're saying. Yes, exactly. So, like, and I'm a big, I'm a big person that's like, I have an extensive vocabulary, but I don't like using it because yeah. I don't want people to not understand me. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I like whenever, like, one of my biggest pet peeves with the whole, you know, it's actually part of the, you know, part of the podcast. The whole issue I have with the ag industry is that we use all this language that people who don't work in the industry don't understand, yeah. and then we wonder why they, why they get mad at us for you know not knowing how things are operating. We don't translate it to them you know like i'm a big person i'm a big believer in the idea that if you are going to tell somebody something you better tell it to them in a way that they're going to understand like don't dumb it down but make it make it layman's terms right mm-hmm. so i would say my top five would be body language uh passion slash authenticity um you know uh language uh, like language choice like like sim- uh simplification that, that's a good word for it um volume and then probably the last one would just be kind of just knowing your stuff like if somebody goes you know like you don't have to be a genius but like if you're giving a speech and like you know you're you're forgetting stuff halfway through or like you're saying incorrect stats or you're like you know you're you're speaking about things that are not very true and you don't sound very confident about the fact you know about, about the things you're saying it just comes across really bad. Like I want people to be confident in what they say and for it to be true. Like, you know, mostly like true is, is a, is a tough word. Cause like, you know, a lot of speeches are, that aren't informative. Like they can't all be like true. It's, you know, it's, right. it's their version of true, <laughs> but like know what you're talking about. Basically, you know, go in there with the confidence of what I'm saying is true. You better believe it. <laughs> I would say that's kind of my, my fifth point. Well, that one might be above volume actually. So Yeah. I don't know if you have any uh, any thoughts on on that, or if you have your own list, but well, I'll throw out a top five in, in no particular order. But okay. I like to preface it by saying there's definitely more than five. I'm sure you'll agree. Oh yeah, there's absolutely. Gotta be more. There's got to be more than you know, because um, if you just have these five, this probably won't make a good speech, right? But right, um, it'll help. Obviously, um, I think a big one that maybe you didn't mention, which I know you'll you'll find important, is eye contact. Oh yes, um, you know being able to and 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 you have to have a good eye contact, not just eye contact. You don't want to stare someone down the whole time, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, I think it helps to be able to look at different people in the eye, not the whole time, but you know at times during your speech, because sometimes it's like you'll get them to be able to pay attention more to the words, and and it'll and may even affect them more. I feel mm-hmm. like you're talking to them. So eye contact's a big one. Um and of course you mentioned volume, it's huge pitch. Um, mm. um uh, what's the other word? Modulation. So being able to, mm. you know, use your high and low vo- tone tone depending on what mm. you're talking about, right? Mm. Um here's one um that I think is very important. Maybe you don't well, I'm sure you agree, but maybe you don't think it's the most important thing. 
Um, but I think it's pretty high up on my list is a really good introduction. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I could agree with that. And the reason why I say that is because to me, that's when you get someone's uh, attention to be able to listen to the rest of your speech. Right. Mm -hmm. If you have, if you ask a good question, you even use a really captivating experience or an illustration, um, that can be huge. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely that, that can be really good. Um, so that's something that I always try to harp on with myself is you got to get something really good at the beginning. Uh, I personally really enjoy like an illustration, like, you know, you know, say you're doing that. They're putting someone in a situation where they're imagining themselves. I feel like me personally, that always helps me whenever I hear a speech that uses one. Mm-hmm. It helps me to, to be a better understand you know, what's, what's being uh, talked about. Um, so that's three. So obviously the, the volume, eye contact, modulation. Um, I was going to say gestures, but that goes into body language, right? Altogether, mm. body language is huge. Uh, yes. As you mentioned, it's gigantic. Um, and I learned that that was always my weakness growing up, right? <laughs> because um, a lot of people can be good speakers vocally, but they'll do like nervous tics, right? Yep. So a mm-hmm. big one is that I had to stop learn how to stop doing was swaying. Mm, yep. Right? Or um people will put their hands in their pockets. Yep. <laughs> right? Or they'll they'll fiddle with their fingers, you know. Um I, one that I, I, I struggled with for the longest time was um doing my gestures too low because I wasn't fully comfortable. Oh. Does that make sense? Yes, so like, no, I get you. You're at a podium and you're trying to do gestures, right? But they're, nobody can see them because they're too low. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's a big one. So, yeah, body language and gestures definitely goes into that. And, of course, um, standing up straight instead of hunching over and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then um, I'll throw in a fifth one here. It could go with body language, but I'm going to separate it. Okay. Um, so, like, facial expressions. Okay. The, the ability to smile, I mean, obviously, if you're talking about something serious, you don't necessarily want to smile. But, you know, being able to be comfortable enough to smile when it's necessary. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you kind of have to have confidence to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Does what I say make sense? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Um, yeah, facial expression is huge to me because, um, I mean, obviously, I think if you have passion, that'll kind of help you naturally show facial expressions. But, um I've seen people that uh, with if, 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 if it's a bad speech, it's usually includes bad facial expressions too. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, you, yeah. Usually if it's not, if it's not written well, if somebody's not super confident in it, then that will show very quickly on their face. Yeah. And, and, and that goes back to my, uh, my um, experience when I, when I would wing it, when I would kind of improvise and, mm. and sometimes that's a really good skill to have is improvisation. And that's what, what acting has helped me to do sometimes with speeches, because I'm sure you'll agree, Brendan, there are times maybe you're, you have, I don't know if you use an outline or how you do your speeches. Um, everyone mm-hmm. does them differently. Maybe you have bullet points and stuff, but sometimes you'll lose your spot mm-hmm. um, or your train of thought. And you kind of just got to know what you're talking about and be passionate about it. And you can kind of just, 
get back on track rather quickly if you can improvise well enough. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, and I, I'm a big... Uh... I so I, I don't like using I, I don't use scripts at all like if, if I use like word right, for word right, it's gonna right. completely throw me off mm -hmm. and that's like the biggest thing I tell people was like do not write out your speech that is the worst thing you can do for yourself um like there are some people who could thrive off of that but like you said if you get lost what are you gonna do now you know um I use kind of like a, like like the bullet point system like you were talking about but I only write down things that I know i have a chance of forgetting so like numbers dates names you know stuff that, that's important for like you know the facts of the speech mm -hmm. everything else i either already have kind of you know i have a general outline memorized and then i just kind of flow off of off of the outline and kind of fill the pieces in with my with my you know ad-libbing or i have you know like the usually usually i have an outline kind of designed in a way that i i know the general topics and like you know kind of the evidence i want to bring up and then i just kind of piece it together as i go Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I use a lot of like highlighting and and I'll I'll use like bold. Mm -hmm. Does that uh, like I'll bold out the letters or I'll italicize or underline if they're important for emphasis stuff like that. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So I really like doing that, adding different colors so that my eyes can kind of catch where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, um, I I could definitely. I mean, I know people who do that too. That's a, that's definitely a useful you know useful strategy as well. Yeah. So um, but yeah. I mean, that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that I think that we've kind of covered all the bases. I mean, like like I said, there wasn't wasn't a ton to to my theory, but I had some thoughts I wanted to kind of get out there and see if they're you know see if they're worth anything. See what you thought about them. Yeah, interesting. You definitely brought some new perspectives onto me. Something that uh, <laughs> I can think about and um, things that I definitely would agree with that I didn't think about before. So it's just very um eye-opening and i think i hope a lot of people that are listening to this you know whether you're a public speaker or it's not your forte you're not something that you're good at um i always tell people try try it once you know try mm -hmm. um taking a class you know try doing a little short speech um i don't know they have yeah they have classes you know where you can you know summer summer classes too i've seen them mm -hmm. um take a class oh, yeah. here with brendan um <laughs> He only charge you one or two paychecks, and uh, <laughs> I uh, think only I, only the firstborn side. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think um, it, it, it it's worth a shot because I think it can help you help make a difference for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I always advocate for you know two main things for people to to know is you know for one, obviously agriculture is a big thing. Know where your food comes from, but. For two, public speaking, you know, knowing how to generally interact with people, how to network, job interview skills, like all of that kind of stuff comes from a, a, a comfortability with speaking in front of others. And I think that any level of, of you know, confidence you can you can develop in that skill is, is useful in, in the long run for any career you decide to go into. Yeah. One of my public speaking classes, that was our last project, was job interviews. It, it, oh, yeah. It's huge. <laughs> I mean, if you can do really well in public speaking – my two things when it comes to a job interview, obviously, if you're good at public speaking, that'll help you out a ton and always be honest because <laughs> mm -hmm. people can tell when you're, you know. Oh, yeah. Lying. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Lying comes out very quickly, especially on your face. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, that, that is some some great advice. And I think that that kind of, you know, that kind of touches all the bases of, of what I was thinking. So that, you know, definitely helps me feel like I'm a little bit less insane. 
um <laughs> but yeah i think that was i think that was a lot of fun so why don't you go ahead and remind everybody uh where they can find you Braden, and, and uh what you're all about you can find me at home on my computer always no i'm kidding uh, <laughs> i'm an urban nerd no um <laughs> um we have a podcast myself and my buddy logan um absolutely gobsmacked we actually haven't released an episode in a month or two mm. we're t- we took a little bit of a break but we're definitely about to uh, um release a couple of really huge episodes they're big mm. undertakings for me um and so um I'll, I'll give you um one of them the next one we we decided to do was uh we're gonna do a bonus episode it's gonna be top five um uh, in our opinion top five uh, most quotable movies oh man time. so <laughs> that is definitely an ambitious project <laughs> yeah that, that one and then an even bigger one um is episode number 25 for us it's going to be the big big two five um and it might have to be a two-potter we'll see but we're gonna go into the movie rebel without a cause and interestingly enough the three main characters in that movie all died tragically at different points in their life it's really hmm. interesting and really weird. So interesting. we're going to delve into that and go into each one deeply. So, wow. All right. And all the conspiracies well, behind that and, and theories and everything. So, yeah. Huh? Yeah. That'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, right. absolutely gobsmacked. Find us wherever you listen to your podcast. All right. Yeah. And I'll be throwing all the links down in the description and anyone mm-hmm. who's followed the podcast and you, know, you guys have, heard them before over on the martian episode same guys so yeah go ahead and check them out they are definitely a lot of fun to listen to i've listened to quite a few of theirs and they're always a pleasure especially if you like movies you're gonna love it because you hear all the behind the scenes stuff and the drama and and the you know the secrets and all that kind of fun stuff so (laughs) it's a it's a good time so thanks again Braden, for joining me for this it's definitely been a a lot of fun it's an honor uh, to be on the show thank you for having me you're always welcome back as as you uh constantly remind me yes but, <laughs> uh, but yeah so thanks again you know and thanks to all my listeners for tuning in i hope all of you enjoyed hope to catch you next week and don't forget if you ate today thank a farmer <laughs>